welcome to Your Future Starts Now, the go-to podcast for extraordinary women who are ready to step into their next chapter with authentic confidence. I'm your host, Gia Lakwa, empowerment coach, motivational speaker, children's book author, and girl mom. Whether you're a corporate powerhouse or an entrepreneur, this show is designed for you. Your Future Starts Now is more than just a podcast. It's a movement, a movement towards rewriting the rules of success for high-achieving women. Are you ready to get unstuck and step into your next chapter? If so, you're exactly where you need to be. Your future starts now. Welcome to Your Future Starts Now. I'm your host, Gia Lakwa. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Brian Seely to the show. Brian is a world-famous cybersecurity expert, ethical hacker, author, and former U.S. Marine. He became one of the most famous hackers in 2014 when he became the only person to ever wiretap the United States Secret Service and FBI. Shockingly, he told the two agencies before he was caught. And instead of being sent to maximum security prison, the Secret Service called him a hero and praised his courage and integrity. Brian, I'm so happy to have you with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Gio. I am going to go ahead and start with the elephant in the room. What possessed you to wiretap the Secret Service and FBI? What in the world was going through your mind at that time? Um, I make poor choices. <laughs> so I, I had a little bit of that rebellious nature, class clown aspect my whole life. But there was something that was at that point bothering me about the way that Google and Yelp and many other companies were handling, you could call it spam, um, unverified businesses or people who were taking advantage of consumers kind of on a global scale by creating fake companies that don't actually exist and stealing business from regular companies. So they found ways to manipulate the top 10, 20, 30 of many different categories on these different sites to get their business to rank higher than other ones without actually having a business. So let's say you could get all 10 locksmith spots for the top 10 and all those phone numbers ring to you. You can buy a phone number online. You can forward it to yourself. Mm -hmm. You just create a bunch of names and add some fake reviews. We all know that happens. So now you have the top 10 you have all these phone calls coming in and regular people who used to be in the top 10 no longer get those phone calls. So some companies figured, I can do this on a large scale and sell those phone calls back to their original intended companies. So let's say you own a locksmith in uh, Scottsdale, downtown. You used to get 100 calls a day. Now you get 10. And you're like, what, what happened? But someone calls you and goes, hey, we've got all these locksmith phone calls. We've got a, a directory and a referral service. They don't really explain how they do it. And the, we'll just transfer them directly to you and sell them to you for $15 each. Simple. You'll make 150 every single time. You might as well take it. You're buying back your own business. They just created a middleman scenario where they get a piece of it. And that happens on a 30 or 40 categories, carpet cleaners, handyman, electricians, that kind of thing. Anything where you service a client at their location or a business at another location rather than your own. Wow. And this is through this is through Google. Google Maps or mm -hmm. Yelp or mm -hmm. whitepages.com. Anything that is a business directory, 
for connecting people with a service. Wow. And that's scary because I can tell you just from personal experience, about a month ago, we had an electrical emergency in my home and it was 11 o'clock at night. And the first place I turned to, of course, was Google and looked at some really good reviews and tried to verify, is this a valid business? And called the guy on the list. Some guy came to my house in the pouring rain, 11 o'clock at night. My kids were in bed, right? And so you can imagine mm -hmm. all the things running through my mind. Now, thankfully, I was very fortunate. This man was an angel and wonderful and fixed what needed to be fixed and was, was great about it. Um, but I could have easily been a victim of that trap. Put it into perspective, like Bing Maps, uh, especially at that time, had more locksmiths in Redmond, Washington on their maps than there were actual locksmiths in the entire state. Wow. Because if you have people who work late at a company, I don't know, like Microsoft, that's mm -hmm. where Microsoft's from, you get people who lock themselves out of their cars and need AAA type services. Well, these guys have ads all over Google, just regular Google ads that show up at the top and say sponsored like $15 lockout special. And then you have AAA, Locksmith Redmond, Key Express Redmond, Kimi Redmond, Locksmith Redmond 24-7, ABC. Like it's just every generic possible name in the book to just saturate the results. And every time they do that, it raises the odds that you're going to call one of theirs. And that's how they play. It doesn't cost anything to, to keep duplicating their work. Maybe $5 for a phone number. That's about it. So if you're not a cybersecurity expert, how does one discern between a legit mm. and a cover? There, I would look at like stock photography first mm -hmm. to see what photos people are using. Is it generic? And I mean, people are getting better, but find, uh, find ones that have a good amount of reviews over a large amount of time. If you're going to look at the people reviewing, Make sure that everyone reviewing doesn't just have one review or mm -hmm. two, because that's another way that they'll do it is they'll have a hundred reviews in the last month and every single one of them is just one, that company. Or they'll have five or 10 and all of them will be for businesses that they own, like an HVAC company, a pool cleaning company, a carpet cleaning company. And then they have one account review all seven of their businesses. And then they have a hundred other accounts doing the exact same thing. For people who are looking for somebody who's going to be, you know, spending any time at your home, five minutes is probably not enough. Mm -hmm. So find um, Better Business Bureau is a good way to do it. There's a couple verified. Um, there's always different services. There's like um, like home repair type referral services. Home Depot can actually be fairly good. Um, depends on what city you live in, which is the most popular, but look at the, the reviews, look at the location. Does it make sense? Does that, is that a business name? Are they registered? Do they have positive reviews? What does their website look like? If it's too generic, if there are red flags, ask somebody. Sure. Do your due diligence. And, yeah. And Google sure. is starting to get better at certain um, verified services and and being able to recommend different contractors and things. But it, it depends on your service area, if they're actually offering that or not. Um, get a license number and check it with the state. That's an, that doesn't take very long to find. Mm -hmm. So whether you've got the 
Department of Labor or Secretary of State that the, a business has to register with, you can check a business license number pretty easily or, or just the name. You can do a search. Great. And, and I know um, you, in one of your, I think it was your TED Talk, you talked about the fact that there was a, quite a bit of a lag time when you had identified this vulnerability and Google actually addressing it. Um, I'm curious, just wanted to follow up on that. Since then, have you seen improvements? I think there's always been improvements, but not almost defiantly not as a result of me. So like they weren't going to just make a bunch of changes that were easily attributed to one person's uh, activism. Mm -hmm. They did have to shut stuff down for a bit while they fixed stuff, but I, they didn't fix things in the way that they advertised. So then when I did do my TED talk a year later, I was able to build a business. Uh, I made a snowboarding shop in the White House called the Edward Snow Den. Brilliant. And thank you. And it's, still, <laughs> it's, still one, it's still one of my favorites. And I mean, it was funny then. It's funny now. It holds up. The idea being I could still manipulate map locations anywhere I wanted to without ever really mm -hmm. leaving my house. And that's not what you want. So they've gotten better. It's still not foolproof. But I think to make it foolproof, we'd have to be working between government and private sector a little heavier than we are now. And people don't mm -hmm. want to do that or there's going to be a lot of legislation because the source of what we call truth is who. If, if you have a business in, let's say, Cincinnati, Ohio, they'd have to start checking who the source of truth was. They'd have to either say, Google would have to go, okay, does, does this business exist in Cincinnati's business registry? Are they licensed? Mm -hmm. Every single city and state has different licensing requirements and bonding requirements and insurance requirements to determine if somebody's legal or not or whether they paid their business licensing fees. So will they... Will they lose their online ranking or position because they forgot to renew their license? Is it a hairdresser or a locksmith? Locksmiths have to get registered and bonded and they have to have a special license in some states. Other states, they don't. Some countries, it's illegal to be a locksmith. So like you can't have locksmithing tools, I think, in Germany. I'm not sure why. Hmm. But certain hacking tools are illegal in the EU. So there's all sorts of different requirements that are really hard to keep track of. And we all know government bureaucracy isn't exactly easy or transparent all the time. So they would have to be working together to check to determine whether a company gets listed or not. And I don't think the government wants to get into that. Or I don't think Google wants to deal with that either. Got it. Yeah. So that makes it tricky. Can you talk to us about what are some of the other most common cybersecurity threats that you see today? And I know you're also a dad. So, you know, many of us lay awake at night <laughs> wondering, how do we keep our kids safe online? The, from a corporate and personal standpoint, most easy cybersecurity breaches, I guess, could be avoided by good email habits of not clicking on links mm -hmm. or believing everything that shows up in your inbox. If, I, if, if you get an email that says my, your iCloud account was compromised, that email could look really, really good. It might not be from Apple. It might be from somebody trying to get you to click on the link because they made you panic saying iCloud got hacked and they're taking all your stuff. Or, you know, all of your nude photos, God forbid, are being shared. I don't know why they would, yeah, 
unless you're a celebrity, no one's no one cares. <laughs> so it's it's just designed to get you to click on the link and then nothing happens, usually. Or you'll mm-hmm. enter in your credentials, but it'll all look really, really good and you'll be like, hmm, that's weird. Well, you don't have to click on the link to find out. You could just go directly to iCloud.com where they say that they're from and check they'll have a message or some sort of way of telling you because clicking the link is helpful. It's excessively helpful to make it easy for you to click. They're trying to make it as easy as possible for you to, to screw yourself. Mm-hmm. And they're taking a chance that a million people or a billion people they email are using one of the most popular services in existence, sure. which is a pretty good gamble. Uh, American Express, iCloud, Hotmail, Gmail, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase Bank, Citibank. I mean, I pretty much covered everybody here in just a few guesses. That doesn't take very long to make emails to suit that problem, uh, to suit that purpose. Right. Yeah. People so can- banks too, right? You could go to the right. source, your bank account or the, the, the bank directly and call them versus clicking on the link. And what they want is money. They want you to give them money or they want to be able to find a way to take money from you. Mm-hmm. Whether the fastest way is usually cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. So they'll have to do more digging and, and figure out, okay, who's got crypto. Uh, it's not going to be a retiree most likely who doesn't really know how to use their computer as well as somebody who's like Gen X or Gen Z or whatever. It's just a fact. Um, it's all always going to be money if they're targeting individuals or companies, sometimes there's an additional like revenge aspect, idealistic, um, politically motivated, but you don't have to worry about that unless, you know, you're doing politically motivated stuff. Otherwise it's just money and greed. So how do you make it difficult for them? Don't click on the links, keep your antivirus and stuff up to date. Use a VPN when you travel. Don't connect to Wi-Fi that mm. uh, you don't own. Um, but what about Starbucks? Well, do you own Starbucks? No, you do not. Pay for the data plan on your phone. Use it as a hotspot for your computer if you want. That's way safer. I wish I owned Starbucks. <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay, that's helpful. Any tips? What about for parenting and kids with technology? Any tips for parents in terms of of technology and making parenting easier? <laughs> parenting easier? Good Lord. Um, each kid is going to be different. You're going to have to learn your own kid to some degree. Um, my daughter is 15. I don't monitor her text messages because I want to make sure that she knows that she has a certain level of privacy, but I do want to know if she's up late because if she's tired every morning when she goes to school, I need to know if she's making some bad choices that need to be, some boundaries need to be set. Mm -hmm. She's not going to set them. She doesn't know how to set them for herself. Right. She's not going to be good at it already. She's going to have to learn how to do that. So instead of saying, bam, you hand me your phone at eight o'clock, which works. Hand me your phone at eight o'clock should be an idea that we come up with together. Mm -hmm. So we start at like the doctor says, you need eight hours of sleep, period. Or what time do you get up? 
five. All right. Do the math. You have to sleep by nine. Well, it takes me an hour to fall asleep. You have to go to bed at eight. How are we going to accomplish this? So we got a blue light filter for her phone, like a, a phone protective mm-hmm. uh, cup, like a cover and a case so that it actually filters out the blue light before she can, and she can't take that off. Or why would she? And doesn't watch TV in a room past a certain time. And in order for her to not forget, we just bought a $10 timer on Amazon that has a seven day programming function and plug it into the wall and you set all the little timing functions and it turns off at a time you set it. Mm-hmm. And then on Fridays and Saturdays, it's different. Mm-hmm. So that way, if she unplugs it, we know that she's trying to skirt the boundaries and, and break the rules, but she just doesn't want to forget because of ADHD. Mm-hmm. So this, those little things make a huge difference in her being able to follow the rules without worrying about getting in trouble for them either. And it seems to work. So I don't have to really worry about her too much. Uh, my son's nine years old. He will be uh, a different set of challenges. I think overall, generally speaking, um, I'd say cis boys and cis girls are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just take heterosexual and make the generalization, um, I can trust my daughter with a, with a computer in her room at 15 more than I can trust my son at 15. So <laughs> you have to tailor the solution. Um, I'd say watch and monitor, but not line by line, screenshot by screenshot. You don't want a police state. You want them to know how to make good decisions and what the decisions are. You, you're trying to get them to be independent, not dependent. I love that. I love how you talked about recognizing that each child is unique and will need perhaps a different style, right? All We're all parenting in a very different world than the world we grew up in. So, yes. you know, there's parenting style that comes into play. The, the, each individual child is, is a factor. Um, and then to your point, I really love this concept of giving them some autonomy and giving them some level of trust and empowering them to make good decisions, but still maintaining the proper boundaries and oversight. And know that they're going to make little mistakes. Yeah. And you're not, you didn't get given a kid to then, you have a blank slate that you get to then completely define who they are and what they are and what you say goes. I'm like, no, you're, you're straight. Or no, I'm going to raise you gay. And then like, you don't get to decide any of that. You get to, shepherd them through life and by the time they're teenagers they're not learning anything else their personalities are set and now they're people and you get to either find a way to enjoy them as people and like see the light come on in their eyes or you can be the one that kills it you can be the one that makes them jaded and pessimistic and see that life is not fair and i've I moved to this country late in life. Uh, I was like 17 when I came here to college. And I like, if I had to define most of the attitudes of people was people were done with things at this already. Like people were already over it by 17 or 18. Just sort of like, it's a rat race. Everything's sort of stupid and making fun of everything. And this, this idea that everything's just sort of dumb. And in that, and teenagers have that, but you should grow out of that a little bit. It just seemed like that, 
became the pervasive attitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every, no one was amazed by anything. Everything was dumb. You couldn't like anything because not caring was cool. And that just seems to sort of spread everywhere. And like trying was there's you literally get called a try hard. Like it's <laughs> like, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. OK. That you're making fun of effort and giving a crap. That's yeah, that's the wrong thing to, to teach kids. Yeah. The shock factor is gone. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah, I, we all wanted to shock our parents and shock society. Mm-hmm. And, but now my kid wants Jinkos, and <laughs> the irony is not lost. That's so funny. So t- tell me about, like, you encounter a lot of high-stakes situations, both in your professional life, right, your career, your background, your training, and as a father. So tell me a little bit more about how you handle stress and how do you maintain such a sense of calm during the chaos? Mm. I haven't always handled it well. I think the Marine Corps definitely taught me um, whether it was through experience of like having things shot around you while you're training to learn how, and then people are screaming at you. Like there's a video that I try to show people to understand what the Marine Corps is like. I think someone smuggled in a video camera into boot camp, or a drill instructor did it. I'm not sure. I think it was a drill instructor. It had to be. And there's like, there's a kid who's on watch essentially at the front of a very large, it looks like almost like a basketball court style length room. And at the very front in the corner is where people come into the room And that's where all the bunk beds start. And there's a big line of them. And at the front of the line, there's a little desk and you stand there and you're anyone who comes into the barracks, you have to announce uh, that they that they showed up and give them a greeting of the day and announce yourself. And it's sort of a routine procedure for performing guard duty later on in the military. Well, he messes up because it's boot camp and you can't really do many things right. And it takes a long time for you to get to that point. So part of the training is being able to to think despite people yelling at you. And mm-hmm. one guy shows up and then another guy hears that and is like, oh, I need to go join. And then another guy shows up and they're ganging up on this kid and they're right in his face. One guy is screaming like words and the other guy is literally intentionally just going, like making these little noises and another guy's making a different pitch. Like he's harmonizing Oh my goodness! so that you hear all these different sounds and it's completely overwhelming. Sure. But nothing, you didn't die. Nothing happened. And they don't do it for too long. They do it for like 30 seconds. And it's like, you better fix this. And then they all just sort of like scatter. And the kid's just like, <laughs> just completely. And it happens to everybody. So it's not necessarily personal. I mean, it is personal because they make sure to make it personal, but it's, they don't really, they're going to do it to you. And no matter what you do, that helps with stress later on in life. When you have one kid, dad, 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 and another kid's like, dad, I'm talking to you. And like, you have kids talking over each other and then you're in the drive-thru. The phone is ringing and the dog is barking and the doorbell goes. (laughs) Exactly. So interesting. So it's really about learning to remain calm and keeping your composure regardless of what's going on around you. 
what what's inside and like you can practice breathing techniques mm-hmm. and mindfulness exercises and know that okay this isn't going to be permanent this this will pass yeah. um there's so many different ways to cope that are healthy and i learned a lot of the bad ways just by sort of living life and um now i'm a recovering addict um learning like okay if this feels bad now I want to drink or I want to do something that changes the way I feel that's going to make stuff worse long run. Maybe it'll feel good in the short term, mm-hmm. but then I'll lose my job or, you know, lose a relationship, lose all the things I don't want to lose. So that for some people is a lot harder because some people will just do things like, Hmm, I got hung over and I don't feel good. I think I'm just going to stop drinking. And then they mm. do. Mm. <laughs> without any help and it's not a challenge those people are not alcoholics like there's that sort of mentality of the addictive personality with gambling and drinking and dancing and cocaine and every possible thing so if there's a 12-step meeting associated with it maybe don't maybe it's a good rule of thumb it's a good life rule i like that (laughs) it's one of those things that i learned which kind of feels like it should have been obvious it helps put things into perspective too so like absolutely your kid defies you on something or challenges you. If you know that that's part of the childhood process, like they're going to have this individuation sort of period of at like two years old. And, and then again, at like teenager where it's almost out of their control that no matter what you say, they're just going to go, I don't want to do that. You're like, all right, have it your way. Go do your thing. Okay, like right. you are doing exactly what you're supposed to do. Be like, oh, I'm like, I'm not like anyone else. Be like, all right, here, I want you to read this one page and then I'll, I'll shut up and it's like, it talks exactly about what they're doing and be like, yeah, you're just like all other people ever. I'm like, <laughs> whatever. But you can learn the hard way. Right. You, you feel free. I'll right. be here. Regard, I'll be right. here no matter what. <laughs> when you figure it out. So I'm curious, I'm going to ask you a question that women get asked all the time. Men rarely get asked. So I like to ask the hard questions. Brian, I'm going to ask you, how do you balance the roles of being an ethical hacker, a cybersecurity expert, and a father? You're a single father, correct? Yes. Yes. I mean, that must be challenging. So, No, not I, at all. It's <laughs> totally fine all the time. <laughs> I'm curious. How do you manage all these different responsibilities, and how do you do it so well? You assume I'm doing it well. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a feeling you are. It. I, the way I define success about my kids is my kids will never wake up and think to ask the question, does my dad love me? Like you see it in pop culture, you see it in TV, you see it in movies. And people are like, it's Sopranos. It was a really emotional scene where the guy's like, do you love me? And his dad doesn't answer him right away. And it's like, I don't, I don't think I go a day without telling them multiple times that I love them. and they're they're different kids so my daughter's been more of a uh we've had more friend aspect or respected friend sort of Mm -hmm. father daughter over the pandemic than her brother who was way younger when the pandemic started i needed her help a lot with him like if i wanted to go to a 12-step meeting over zoom she would help out and watch him and make sure he ate his food or didn't you know set anything on fire so I had to rely on her 
and support her. And like, so then she got to see the aftermath of a breakup, mm. which he didn't even know was going on. Like he's mm-hmm. that oblivious and just mm-hmm. one day he asks, oh, what, what happened to that girl that, you know, lived here a long time ago? <laughs> He'd be like, Oh, you mean she lived here for two years. This is now you're asking four years after the fact I showed him a photo. And he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. What happened to her? I'm like, dude, that was forever ago. This is the first time you've thought to Noticed. ask. Like, all right, good to know. Uh, yeah, no wonder you lose so many jackets. <laughs> you just completely in the moment and have no, yeah, once it's out of your sight, it's completely out of mind. There's no object permanence. So with her, I'm not completely, I wouldn't say, I'm not keeping secrets or, but there's some things that are private. Mm-hmm. And knowing what's good to tell kids and like letting them show up on topics like she can watch shows that have swearing in it. It's not a big deal. I don't play stuff that's excessively vulgar for like stand up or anything. But if she finds something funny, I can kind of tell what language is appropriate, what she likes, what she finds funny. And I don't try to push the envelope for her, but I don't I try to meet her where she is. And I don't try to change who she is either. I try to look at it as more of like finding out who she is rather than telling her what she needs to be and, and trying to be grateful for the stuff that I do know that I do like, and then helping her find stuff. If she doesn't like about herself, like character flaws, shortcomings, anything like trying to find a way that, Hey, if you don't like that thing, it's going to take you a lot longer to deal with it. If you think you're the only person dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Guess what? The more transparent I am about the things that are, I am struggling with as a person uh, initially feels like undermining your own authority with your kids. But if that's your first thought, then you've got the wrong focus. Yeah. Like your authority is very limited. Um, if you're a real parent, you know that you can't even make your kids eat a sandwich they don't like. Like they will they will resist if they don't like jelly today. Good luck. They're going to sit there for a really long time. You're going to have to make some really bad threats for them to finally just comply. And there's going to be tears and it's going to ruin everyone's mood. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that advice of meeting them where they are. Right. And, and also respecting who they are and not trying to force yourself, your ideas, your beliefs onto them. I think that's so powerful and it's such great advice for parents. You and I talked a little bit before the show about vulnerability. We talked a little bit about Brene. I'm curious, you know, you, I love how you said, you know, every Thursday that goes by, you don't, your kids don't hear, I love you. And I like to think that's true of all parents and fathers, but I'm not sure that it is. And I'm curious as to how you broke some of the gender stereotypes that exist in our society around vulnerability. Hmm. I don't think I was taught them initially growing up. I know I've had a weird family dynamic. Um, I never heard my dad yell. I've never heard him raise his voice. Um, my dad is still alive. I saw him yesterday. Um, we have, we've had a relationship where we haven't had anything left unsaid in 20 some years. So that's rare. Uh, my mom passed a few years ago, and there's when she was she was amazing. 
like everyone who knows her was amazing. They, the amount of people that showed up for a funeral back home filled an entire gymnasium wow. and people streaming to watch. Mm-hmm. So she was just so kind and like dedicated to being a mother and like me and three, uh, three siblings in my family, none of us fought. I can't think of a single argument we ever had or four years apart. And when my youngest sister came out as a uh, transgender, I don't remember. I don't remember thinking anything other than like, uh, okay, like what are they like, do a, Wait, what do you, what do you, what would you like me to call you? And then it was she, and that was, that was it. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't waste any time on, but are you sure? Or is just immediate acceptance of who his kids are. That's it. It doesn't change who he is as a father. And I was always raised to like do home ec and be both. Um, sisters and myself always on the emotional intelligence side versus any sort of masculine upbringing of like, you got to be a guy, you got to suck it up. You can't, don't cry. Don't, none of that was ever taught. And then we lived at a, in a missionary community in Tokyo. So there was lack of access to American pop culture, I think. And so that Mm -hmm. was a big culture shock. So Mm -hmm. Lots of different individual sort of contributing factors to making what I would call uh, um, a childhood that makes you more awkward than a homeschool kid. <laughs> like when homeschooled kids are like, dude, this guy is weird. Like that's how, like on the scale. You're like, oh, okay, this is different. But, it, <laughs> but somehow it worked. Eventually. 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 It, I, the, the Marine Corps helped yeah. figure out some of the, the dynamics of being around other guys who Mm -hmm. um, one of the love languages for late teens, early twenties men is just sporadic fun violence and ribbing and making fun of each other. And there's a, it's not personal, but it also, if you don't do it, your identifying yourself is not part of, and then Mm -hmm. there's, then you've identified yourself and singled yourself out as either better than, or I'm different, or I don't want to be like you. And like, if you can give it back just even a little bit, it immediately endears people to you. It's weird. It, it, it took me a long time to figure out and um, how to navigate. Like people will punk each other for just for no reason. Cause they're bored for the fun of it. And it's, it is difficult being a guy growing yeah. up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So a lot of role modeling, environmental influences, it sounds like. And there's like a man card and you can lose it for no reason. It's like crying will like lose it or smiling in photos in certain Mm. cultures will lose it depending on your, like some people think it'll make you gay. If you hug your kids or or, dude, you're going to make them soft. If you teach them like love and hugging and that's so heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. People are going to be dicks to your kid no matter what. At some point you don't have to start early. No, they'll have enough. Promise you. True. It's it's such good advice, you know, and then be there for them when it does happen and know that they can turn to you because you're the one who's going to say, I love you unconditionally, right? Hopefully. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Like it's yeah. people are looking for a reason to to judge things pretty quickly, even their kids sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So before we wrap up, Brian, I want to just mention you wrote a book back in 2016 about a relatively unknown type of consumer fraud, and it's called- Relatively unknown book about a relatively unknown type of- (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it'll be known. It's called Cyber Fraud, The Web of Lies. It's available on Amazon, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, But you and I were talking about something else you're working on. So you mentioned that you are working on a second book. And it is the intersection of tech plus mental health and shares a bit right. of your personal journey. Do you want to tell us a little about, about that? Yeah, sure. I'm finishing up the book now. It's um, rough draft stages, working with a co-author who's a professional writer, because I uh, am not good at that. I'm good at talking. And that's fine. And not, not a lot of people like talking in public. I have no problem. I actually enjoy it. But the writing part of it, he's very good at it. And so mm-hmm. he's helping kind of craft a story about it and figure out how to tell this in the right way. It's basically my life. But instead of going like, I went to Harvard and everything went great. And then I made all these choices that were awesome and humble bragging the whole time. It's more like, hey, how can I list all the mistakes I made instead of all the the successes? Because there wasn't a lot of successes. Uh, it was a lot of mistakes for a very long time. Um, that sort of seem to result in now I'm, I get asked to be on podcasts and I found out what I like to do and what mm-hmm. I'm good at. And people are comparing my career to like normal people, not I, I'm a recovering addict. So I've always been like, well, for an addict, you're doing great. Like, you know, for a train wreck, you're a good train. Wreck. <laughs> We're all train wrecks, just different, <laughs> different trains. <laughs> exactly. Different. Yeah. And that's what I started to figure out. But, when people start comparing you to normal people and ambitious people who haven't made all these public mistakes, then it was like, Oh, all right. Well, do I want to abandon all the stuff that made me what I would consider interesting and whole as a person, all the mistakes and just polish things up like Instagram and make my, no, I don't want to do that at all. That sucks because if, if you've got to curate stuff Mm -hmm. to a level that's, you're going to, if your end goal is perfection in other people's perception, you're going to lie because the highest priority is looking good. And so if something doesn't make you look good, you either have to omit it or completely lie about it. You have to start changing the narrative. But if you don't, if your objective is to tell the truth, people respect that for some reason. I don't know why it wouldn't have been my first thought, but if you're telling people the honest truth, it it's more endearing. It, it gets people to, I can explain it better this way on stage. If I talk about hacking and everything I did in the hacking world to get me famous at the end of the speech, I'll get applause. I'll get a few questions and then people will leave, but I don't feel connected to a single person in the audience and it's boring. I don't like telling that story over and over again. It doesn't, it feels so disconnected. I gave a speech in Austin at a company called Spiceworks talking more about what the book's about and my personal journey in life and a lot of the failures. And I got more feedback from that speech than I've gotten in any other speech combined in 10 years and a standing ovation for the very first time I've ever had one. And the first time in their conference in 15 years, they've ever had one because I was honest and people can tell when you're being genuine and authentic. And that it resonated with people to a degree that they pulled their phones out 
and typed up messages that didn't go to like Twitter or for like social praise. It was direct to me just to say, I'm, oh my God, I thought I was alone. Mm -hmm. I also had this, or I was also mm -hmm. like this. So that's not nothing to get people to take an action or like do extra work. is hard. We're all burnt out. Yeah. So that was the difference. Finding, um, that's the book that I'm working on is overcoming a lot of trauma and figuring out, like learning that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there's all these terms that are around post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and then there's complex trauma, mm -hmm. complex PTSD and trauma-informed response and all these other things. But people have never heard of post-traumatic post growth is an actual term. Yeah. And there's an actual science around it. And it talks about the symptoms of what it looks like to hit a growth period afterwards, where you, instead of caring about things, you start caring about people and relationships and your priorities change and what you care about changes. And it's beautiful and it's amazing. And I just never heard that there was, because most people just get stuck at the PTSD stage and they think, well, this is me now. And I'm just going to, you know, have nightmares and freak out anytime anyone slams a car door. Mm -hmm. and you know, like anytime there's a trigger, I'm going to lose my mind and I'll just have to figure out, you know, how to get another script and talk to my doctor. And like, that's not your end. That doesn't have to be. You can actually get rid of stuff. And like, I know it sounds like craziness, but EMDR is like magic and it works. And I don't know why you haven't tried it, but men, men are usually more stubborn about therapy and stuff. But holy cow, like, why wouldn't you want to fix this when it's yeah. so fixable so quickly? Absolutely. And I can attest to that as well. EMDR is is a wonderful therapy, and it's changed so many lives. Ta -da! Like, if how to explain it really quickly? You move your eyes in weird sort of left and right, and you watch a light with a therapist, thinking about something that was horrible, a very specific thing that you don't even technically have to talk about. Mm -hmm. You just have to know it in here. Like mm -hmm. you know it, you think about it. If it's an emotional ten out of ten, and it puts you in the on the floor in the fetal position, crying. I can tell you that one session of EMDR can take that event and make it a three and yeah. it can never have to go back to a 10 ever again. And, and I'm not even kidding. And it happened. That was for me, same for me. I could not get through certain topics, whether it was a movie or conversational, anything. I cried yeah. in front of a plumber. Like, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> And it then I made make... a joke about waterworks and then it was funny. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it doesn't make you forget the experience. It doesn't take no, no, no. it away. It just changes your relationship to it. It changes your response to it, which can be really powerful. I think in a perfect world, you experience something, you remember it, but then there's emotions that get pushed with it. And then after it's over, you have mm -hmm. closure and then the emotions don't, they're not as strong. In trauma, something shuts off. And so then later on, you can like resume that memory, but you also get that the feelings back at their maximum intensity because your body couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you disassociate and your nervous system shuts down, it's to protect you. And that's what makes you experience nothing. You can't feel anything. And it, because it's better than like losing your mind and blacking out or, you know, going into mental breakdown. So your, your body's trying to protect itself, but yeah. you're not in, you're not being chased by bears. You don't need fight or flight. You can figure out that you're safe and you can tell yourself you're safe 
and find a way through it. And then all of a sudden you're free. Yeah. We can get unstuck from that. Absolutely. And I love the work that you're doing because the authenticity and the vulnerability, Brian, is your superpower and the value that you bring to others. It's, I mean, I know you're changing lives, so that's amazing. Where can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? Um, BrianSeely.com is my website. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm occasionally on Twitter, but that that's gotten weird. So uh, <laughs> LinkedIn probably website you can hit me up on uh, send me a connection requests i'll answer questions when i have when i have the time um you can listen to like a police scanner in case uh there's a car chase or something. <laughs> i yeah i will be around i do speak awesome. around the world and travel a fair bit but i try to answer any questions anybody ever sends me because that's why i'm here Awesome. And of course, you can visit my website at gialacqua.com. Connect with me on Instagram at gialacqua. I'd love to hear from you. Ideas, questions, and feedback are all welcome. Brian, it is such an honor to have you here today. You are a hero in more than one way. And I want to thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being here. And thank you for being you. And I am putting you in. I have a note. We're going to have a follow-up episode with Brian on his new book. I cannot wait cool. to read it. And we're going to talk about post-traumatic growth. Me too. I hope it's good. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here, Brian. This is Gia signing off with gratitude for your time and energy. Our mic drops, but the movement continues. Until next time, your next chapter is waiting. Take care. That concludes another empowering episode of Your Future Starts Now. Before we wrap up, I want to thank this incredible community of high-achieving women. Your energy, resilience, and commitment to growth are the driving force behind what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Your feedback fuels our mission to empower high-achieving women just like you. And of course, share your future starts now with the extraordinary women in your life who are also on a journey of healing and empowerment. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts, let us know what topics you'd like to explore in future episodes. Stay connected on Instagram at Gia I encourage you to carry the energy of this conversation into your day and keep on supporting the incredible women around you. Until next time, remember, your next chapter is waiting.